Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Whole Home Show. I'm Tony Joe, your host every week, bringing you tips, education, and updates on home-related matters. Whether you're in the real estate market or if you're looking for decorating or improving ideas for your home, this is the place to be. Our show comes to you with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, Carrie Augustini, insurance manager, Westland Insurance, operating as Island Savings Insurance, the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs, and Shoreline Inspections, Reese Jacob and Monica Gass. If you need help or direction in your real estate transaction, give any of the Whole Home Show team members a call. They would love to hear from you. And I can help you too, by the way. I've been selling real estate here in Greater Victoria for almost 30 years. I am born and raised here in town. I've never left. I love Victoria. I'm a community supporter, and I've helped hundreds of people with their real estate dreams. I could help you as well, too. If you need a second opinion or need some professional help, just give me a call. You can find myself and the rest of the Whole Home Show team contact numbers on the CFAX 1070 website cfax1070.com look under shows there you'll find us the whole home show with me tony joe and you can reach us there we finished another year quite well frankly in victoria real estate but what happened in the other major marketplaces in canada today i'm taking you across the country to learn more about the results of 2019 in toronto calgary and vancouver with colleagues in the know from each of those markets. You'll get a clear insight on the goings-on those towns are are encountering, and maybe there'll be a surprise or two in there for you as well, too. So stay tuned. You'll learn more about what's happening in real estate in Canada in general. We always start our show with our weekly listener question, and if you have a question or curiosity or a great story to tell us about real estate, give us a call. The number is 250-414-6540. That's 250-414-6540, or again, find us online, cfax1070.com. This week, I received an email. It's a strata question, and it might be an active strata question right now, so I'm not going to cite the author's name um, because it might be a hot topic in that building right now. However, it's a common one that pops up on occasion. I've had it asked uh, tens of times over my career in real estate, and here it is. What are the drawbacks to having laundry installed in a unit in an older building? Okay, so if you can imagine just this for a moment, um, there's a wide range of condos in Victoria. You get your new towers that you see downtown, roll those cranes up, steel and concrete buildings. You have newer buildings like the four-story wood frame ones that peppered town in sort of the mid to late 90s. Uh, All of the newer units nowadays have in-suite laundry. It's an amenity that we expect, you know, hey, you live in your unit, you got to wash your clothes, just open up a closet, boom, you're done. Well, that was something that wasn't so common in older buildings. If you look at things that are in the 1970s or older, 60s, thereabouts, typically you're encountering common laundry situation, and that's where you have your laundry room. Uh, Some of the buildings have laundry schedules, so you know when you're supposed to do your laundry. Um, most of the time you pay for the laundry, whether it's a quarter or a loony or a toonie, sometimes the common laundry is free. It's paid for through 
the Strata Corporation, but it is an amenity that a lot of people hope to have on their own, that convenience of, like I said, being able to open your closet, being able to do your laundry right there and then. Comes up where you get these older buildings, somebody might be interested in buying one, uh, they are typically more affordable. One of the reasons why older buildings are attractive is because they don't command the same price as a newer building, for instance, with all of the newer amenities. But you're looking at an older building in a great location. For instance, let's say Fairfield, James Bay, two really key areas where people love to be because they're close to town. But in an older building, they don't have laundry. So there's occasionally a situation where there might be a closet or there might be you know, a large enough bathroom or sometimes even in the kitchen. And a buyer might say, hey, could we maybe install laundry into the unit here? That way I can have the location and this lower priced unit plus have this amenity that is really important to me. And you think that that would be an easy process, but I want to outlay for you right now some of the drawbacks there. So the first one is space. As I just talked about, is there room for laundry? Um, Number two is how close is it to plumbing? Because you see, you need to be able to tie into a plumbing stack and also fresh water source. Uh, When you're in a condo, it's not like being in a house. You can't just go from underneath or dig up the floor to move uh, plumbing. You've got neighbors there, so that could be very complicated. Um, The most important one here, though, is is it allowed by the strata? Because there are many stratas that have restrictions or bylaws that say it is not permitted. You're not allowed to add them. Why would that be? Well, first of all, because they're concerned with you uh, playing around with electrical systems, plumbing systems, it could have negative ramifications on the rest of the building. You know, let's just say, say for instance, if a plumber tapped into a plumbing line and ended up flooding the neighbors below you, that would be a very bad thing and a bad thing for insurance. Uh, the other thing, too, that comes up is the, uh, the notion that if you had your own laundry in this building, you would be using more water than your neighbors. Because remember, water typically is a common expense that is shared throughout the entire complex. If all of a sudden you've introduced this new uh, appliance that requires the use of water, uh, there there's a perception that there's unfair use because you're using more than the other neighbors. Now, I also mentioned that laundry rooms commonly uh, you've got to pay for them. Sometimes for stratas, that's revenue uh, generated, generated revenue, and it's good for uh, the strata, right? Um, the other thing, too, is noise. If it's in an older building, the sound deadening is not the same as it is in newer buildings. Uh, and as a result, you might get unhappy neighbors with your washer or your dryer going uh, late hours of night or things like that. These are all the reasons, by the way, that stratas typically have the rule and say no retrofitting of laundry into uh, a strata unit. It's really important to know you can't assume that that is just something that can be done. There are drawbacks, uh, and of course, any changes that are to be done should always be done to a permit and by professionals. It's crucially important when you're in an apartment because, of course, you're in close confines with a bunch of other people, and those would be your neighbors. Now, that being said, we have seen some buildings where laundry has been retrofitted. In fact, there are buildings where all of the units have had laundry uh, added into the units. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention too, dryers and dryer ducts. So you've got to duct out the uh, air that's coming out of your dryer 
And this oftentimes is an issue because you can't just tap a line outside of a condo building. It could have issues with the envelope. Uh, anyway, so many things to consider, but the bottom line is we understand when an older strata says no retrofitting of laundry, uh, and it's something that uh, is asked us regularly. So thank you very much for that conversation. And for everyone else, if you have a question, just let us know. We'd be happy to talk about it. If you are a, a listener, a podcast listener, find us on iTunes or Google Play. You can hear all of our past episodes We need to take a quick break now, but when we come back, we'll be doing a trip across Canada to find out what happened in real estate in 2019, back in just a moment. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're doing a little trip across Canada to learn about what happened in the real estate markets in 2019 in key market areas. We'll be going to Vancouver shortly and Calgary, but we're starting off right now with the Big Apple. It's Toronto. And with us on the phone right now is Tom Story from Roller Page Signature Real Estate. Tom, great having you on the line. Yeah, you know what? Thank you so much for having me here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, well, listen, I, I just need to give the listeners here a little bit of a background. You and I know each other. We go back quite a ways. Uh, yeah. You are a busy guy with Roller Page Signature in Toronto, which is a huge company. You guys have like 1,200 realtors or some of that, right? Yeah, you know what? And and we're a different model where we actually only have three offices. But yeah. Between the three offices, there's 1,200 of us. So, yeah, we're a big one. You are. You are indeed. And listen, some of our listeners may even know you. They might not be able to put the name to the face or, or the voice yeah. to the face, but you've been on Bloomberg, CTV, uh, National Post, uh, Toronto Star. You are the guy that the media is calling nowadays to get sound bites about Toronto real estate which is impressive because of the fact that you haven't been around for 25 years. You just happen to be somebody who was in the know. You know what? I uh, I think I put myself in the right position at certain times and surrounded myself with the right people, and that's really been helpful. But uh, I love, you know what? One thing I always talk to my clients about is, like, I really do think that they have the upper hand because I'm such a stats nerd. And the fact that I have to go on live TV or radio once a month. You got to know your stuff. Tell people what's I got, That's it. Like, yeah. I think that's your advantage. I got to know my stuff or else I don't look so great. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it's funny because I seem to be that guy here in Victoria, but we're a tiny little town compared to the metropolitan metropolitan uh, metropolis of Toronto. Yep. Uh, so kudos to you because this is, it's really something that people really, w- realtors wish they had that role, but it's hard to get. And you, my friend are there. So congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. I have a lot of fun with it. Awesome. Let's talk about uh, 2019. What happened in Toronto in the world of real estate? Okay, so it was a year where we had about 10,000 more sales happen from the year before. Mm -hmm. So I think after the hangover of the stress test of beginning of 18, (laughs) which really took a damper to the start of that year, um, people, you know, total confidence started coming back to the market. What's really interesting for me when I look at the Toronto market is I go, okay, all these sales are happening in different asset classes, but where are these sales? Like, what's the price point? Yeah. If you really break it down, and from four hundred dollars to $800,000, almost 60% of our transactions actually happened in that range. Okay. So if you break it down even further, it goes like, okay, well, what properties can you buy in that range? And for the most part, it was condos. Yeah. So- you know, what I always look at and like, I know both of us know realtors all across North America and in, in Victoria, in, in Toronto, in bigger markets, condos are very attractive 
for the fact that they're kind of the only option for a lot of buyers if you can't afford what your typical freehold property costs, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's why I look that's what I always look at where like I'm not sure if people love condos in Toronto. I think it's they get pre-approved and they get told, okay, well, here's what you can afford, and condos are their only option. Yeah. It's so, not the, not their first choice, but it's what they have. I wouldn't say it's their first choice, but you know what I always break it down is, is the days of buying your detached property, at least in the bigger markets, as your first house mm-hmm. or buying that quote-unquote dream house. It's not going to happen the first time around, but it doesn't mean we have to whine about it. It just means, okay, we be strategic. We get into the market with something smaller and then we climb our way up the property ladder over time. So well, you know, this is this is no surprise. I mean, coming in from the airport, going down the Gardner, it seems like there's a new tower. There's new towers every time I'm in town. There is, yeah. and and people keep buying them. And the one thing that's interesting, at least to give you a bit more of a condo update, is that if you break down in the core of Toronto for price per square foot for condos. We're hovering for the for the you know the good areas between nine hundred and eleven hundred dollars per square foot, mm-hmm. which is fairly expensive for resale. The the new construction market, we're seeing prices in some areas in King West and Yorkville where they're starting at fifteen hundred dollars a square foot. So there's a massive gap, a value gap I would look at okay. between buying off the plans and actually buying a resale. Yeah, okay. So for our listeners there, that would mean brand new construction, 1,000 square feet, which is sizable, is $1.5 million, right? Uh, yep. it, just for comparison, here in Victoria, that number is closer to six something, 650, gotcha. 700. Yeah. For the new construction. Correct. Correct. Gotcha. And is there a big difference in Victoria from the, the, resale? the new construction to the resale? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, the, 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 the difference would be sort of similar uh, as to Toronto. So uh, percentage wise, at least, yeah. Yeah. So comparing the numbers again, looking at 2018, but the thing is 2018 was a, a, a soft year, right? It was, yeah. I mean, like, we didn't feel the effects like out west did. Um, however, it was a year, it was kind of like one of those years of the blips where it was, you know, nothing crazy was happening. It was kind of just moving along nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was good, actually, because... If you take us back one more year before we got fair housing and foreign buyer and rent control and the laundry list of other things in that plan, we were seeing double-digit price growth in every single category. And it's just not sustainable where last year overall, Toronto went up about 4% from the year before, if Uh, you include all the different asset classes. uh, Price-wise? Price-wise, 4%, correct. Okay, wow. And, And... and where we saw the biggest changes in price, the condo market almost hit double digits again. And then what was surprising is, I know we have different terms, but in Toronto, semi-detached. So I think maybe you guys call it townhouses. Yeah, townhouses, right. Yeah. So they saw the, the freehold semi-market in Toronto did extremely well in 2019 mm-hmm. because it's your jump up from the condo where you can't get the fully detached property. Um but it's freehold, and you don't have to pay fees, and it's a nice jump up. There was a ton of demand, and because the way that our city's kind of constructed with the urban planning is when these homes were built in the 1920s, 1930s, <laughs> yeah. they were all semis, and they were all close to downtown Toronto. So location-wise, they're great. Yeah, yeah, but you're right so You're right in the thick demand. of it. Well, that's it, and all the people that have been living the luxury life in the condo where you don't need your car for anything downtown mm-hmm. – when they're ready to make that next jump up, they still want to, you know, not move too far outside their lifestyle, but they want that freehold property. 
And that's why semis had a really, really big year uh, in 2019. Yeah. So comparatively, we, we are talking uh, duplexes. So things Correct. where there's yeah. No, yeah there's no strata uh, corporation no, no strata fee all that kind of stuff now there's just a one wall in the middle yeah. that's, right, that's right okay so talking about numbers though like just for our listeners to understand like when we talk about the fact that sales numbers were uh, were up in 2019 you you got our listeners have sure. to know we're talking eighty thousand sales for the year you guys did like eighty seven thousand. Yeah. I think it was 87, yeah. Okay, now compared to tiny little Victoria, we're a population of 400,000. We finish off the year with 7,200, 7,200. Interesting. So, so the the mass, the size between the two market areas is is vast. Like Toronto obviously is huge. Toronto is massive. And there are many pockets of Toronto that I have never sell, sold in or probably never will. Like you kind of got to pick the area that you want to focus on yeah. just because we are – so large yeah. right you can't you can't sell the entire greater toronto area it's just not feasible um yeah different market lots of people a ton of population growth which has been the reason why and uh, where are people coming in from terms of price they're coming from everywhere yeah. but something that's actually interesting to me is the interprovincial immigration mm-hmm. is higher than i had thought where i have a lot of you know, other people in the industry that are help are, are sending me their clients that are coming in from Edmonton, from Calgary, from other parts of Canada. I've had a few from Halifax this year. Wow, and that's moving to that's got to be a big yeah, sticker shock. Toronto. Well, it is. See, it's easy when the people from Vancouver, Victoria, come here because yeah. they're like, "Hey, these prices look all right." Yeah. But uh, when you're coming from the other markets where you know the average person can afford what the average you know freehold detached property costs. And then you're coming to Toronto and you're getting to choose, you know, uh, well, what 500 square foot condo am I going to move into? It certainly is a <laughs> bit of a shock at first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like our market is, is versed with lots of people coming in. And I think if you just look at the unemployment rate um, for Toronto, which they're, they're saying is at a 30 or 40 year low, there's a lot of jobs and, and these big corporations, Tim Hortons just moved back to downtown Toronto. Like, they're all populating. They're no longer going into the suburbs. Mm-hmm. They're coming back to downtown. There's a ton of job growth. And I really think that's why our population has continued to go up. Great. So the, uh, the forecast then I'm thinking uh, moving forward is you guys are doing just fine, right? I think we're going to be okay. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, there's a whole lot of other external factors that we can't control. Yeah. But uh, the three things that I always break down is, okay, can you borrow money? What are the interest rates like? And that's going to be Canada-wide, right? Yeah. Yeah. But we have access to money. It's affordable. What's the unemployment rate like? Mm-hmm. Do people have jobs? And can they afford property? And how many people are, what's the population doing? Is immigration going higher every year? So if, if those three remain strong, I think, you know, this year kind of moves along gingerly. Um, but again, I don't think that means our market goes up 20% this year. No. I think we're, we're looking at a 5 to 7% increase in price in, in the greater Toronto area in 2020. Great. Well, hey, Tom, thanks for, for coming and telling us all about Toronto. People need to reach you. What's the best way? Uh, a few different ways. Uh, on Instagram, we are extremely uh, uh, active on there. It's at the story team, and story is spelled S T O R E Y. Yep. Or you can check us out online at storyteam.ca. Great. Thanks for coming online, Tom. We'll get you back, but uh, happy selling in Toronto. Yeah, thanks so much. Have an awesome day. You bet. Bye now. Now, the whole home show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. 
everyone. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show comes to you every week with the support of our show partners. Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group. Carrie Augustini, insurance manager with Westland Insurance, operating as Island Savings Insurance. The Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs. And Shoreland Inspections with Reese Jacob and Monica Gass. If you need help or direction in your real estate transaction, give any of the whole Home Show team members a call. They would love to hear from you, as always. You can find their contact information on the CFAX 1070 website. Just look under Shows. There you'll find us, the whole Home Show, with me, Tony, Joe, and you can connect with them. Uh, we're having a little tour across Canada right now, talking about what happened in real estate in 2019. Wow, can you believe we're at 2020 already. Well, we just spoke with Tom Story in Toronto about what happened over there. We are coming west now, and right now we are talking about Calgary. And on the line with us right now is John Ripko. John, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, uh, John, how are things in Calgary? What's going over? What's going on over there? Uh, and of course, you're with Royal LePage Benchmark in Calgary. The Calgary marketplace actually is. Uh, Relatively flat for 2019 over what happened in 2018. Okay. Uh, total sales totaled uh, just over 16,000, 16,365 compared to 16,142 in 2018. Just a little a up. Marginal increase of 1.38 percent. Yeah. Okay. And what's interesting though, the benchmark price, which is the best way to uh, determine the values, yeah. unfortunately actually dropped from 437 and change to 422 and change, okay. so a drop of 3.4 percent. And at the start of the year, we had projected a price drop of 3%, so that was more or less in line with that. Uh, Going into 2020, however, it's kind of interesting. We are anticipating the total sales volume to increase marginally by about 2% versus the 1.38 we just had. Okay. Uh, However, we expect prices to remain relatively flat. Oh, really? We're not anticipating a lot of change for, quite honestly, the next two to three years, potentially, Uh because we need a little bit more diversification in the economy, and we've had a whole boatload of people who, unfortunately, um, no longer are in in primarily the energy sector, or what's happened is they may have been downsized. They still are working, but not at the same income level they had previously. So, subsequently, if you look at our sales numbers, okay, of that 16,000-plus we had, the vast majority of it, in, and the marketplace that is super active, is that which is priced under five hundred thousand dollars. Okay. The five hundred to million dollar mark is sort of a middle management um, scenario, and they're hurt a little bit. The part that's being decimated is what I identify as our luxury marketplace, which starts effectively at one point five million, goes all the way up. Yeah. Uh, in the last year alone. Uh, the numbers on that fell almost 18% over the number of transactions we had in 2018. Well, And 2018 itself was not a strong year, right? Overall, no. In fact, yeah. our best year, the energy prices dropped in the middle of 2014, and that year our total sales were t- uh, 25543 so call it 25.5 versus the 16365 so let's say 16.5, updating it there. So we have 9,000 fewer sales which is a 37% drop in total units. Wow. Yeah, so so here's the interesting thing, because, of course, a lot of our listeners would be um, ex-Calgarians or ex-Albertans, and, you know, uh, I wouldn't be surprised that actually some people still hold real estate 
uh, in your marketplace there as well, too. Very interesting to know. Like, we've known that it's been softer in Alberta, in both Edmonton and Calgary. Um, generally speaking, your market is always really busy. And, and let's face it, though, too. I mean, even at these numbers you're talking about right now, things are still good, right, John? Things are still very positive, exactly. I mean, basically, um, most of the people who are selling um, basically are in a scenario where they're upgrading or they're relocating elsewhere. They're either retiring or, alternatively, they're downsizing. Yeah. And there's very few, uh, what I call, forced sales or foreclosures and stuff. We obviously all have them, but we have those in good times as well. Yeah. So things are relatively flat. People are optimistic. It's simply a matter of people readjusting to the new reality. Yeah, for sure. You know, we've brought it up many times before. I mean, you, you talk about the luxury market as being that uh, $1.5 million in up range. Of course, that doesn't get you much in Vancouver, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. even even here in Victoria, I mean, um, y- you know, $1.5 million is not a high-ticket item. We've been saying for a long time, though, that the best buys in Canada right now are those uh, luxury homes in Calgary because of the fact that at some point in time they are going to pick back up again, right? The the numbers of transactions we have in that $3 million plus range is massively lower. Yep. Now, granted, it's a big ticket. Yeah. However, if you look at the percentage of transactions, uh, sorry, the percentage of value that they've dropped, you're looking at typically 25 to 35%. Wow. And we have some homes... That were easily selling at let's say five to six million. Yeah. That you got snap up at like three, three and a half right now. Yeah, and you know, having visited these homes in Calgary, I have to say the scope is very different. I mean, you look at areas like the Uplands in Victoria, you go to Shaughnessy in Vancouver, they are very nice. But then you look at some of the neighborhoods in Calgary. You know, you've got acreage, you've got rolling land, the houses are huge, um, and again, right now they they seem to be a really good buy, right? No, they're on resale, they're tremendous buy. Yeah. Of interest, which is really surprising, is that luxury, I call that an Uber luxury, so like the $3 million plus. Yep. On the construction side, hmm. the luxury home builders, yep. many of them are tapped out. Uh-huh. They, for the, positively, meaning to say they cannot take new construction um, inquiries or basically new builds. Uh, we deal with one extensively, and they told me last week, if I came to them with a new build, they yep. cannot even look at commencing until next September. Oh, because what you're saying is that people are building for themselves. They're building for They're themselves? Building for themselves, yeah. Oh, okay. So these numbers that we represent are MLS resales through Calgary Real Estate Board, yep. which do not represent new home sale transactions, of which there are countless. For sure, for sure. Um, so as far as the, the sales uh, um, uh, are concerned, where are people coming from? Like, um, what's the majority of the sales uh, being driven by? In your marketplace, the basically it's it's local. Yeah, the, uh, we had for the second year in a row we've had a minor um, influx of individuals. Mm-hmm. However, literally it's like under two thousand net people, and most of those, however, were in the service sector. Okay, and so for subsequently they're replacing the actual bodies, but not necessarily the income levels of the people who are leaving. Yeah. And so they, effectively, it's uh, there's no not too many people coming in from the outside right now from let's say, other provinces or other countries yeah. to offset the numbers that are leaving insofar as the same income levels. So you're not seeing an influx of, for instance, foreign buyers or foreign investment? Very few. 
Yeah, that's interesting, you know. Because, of course, uh, and I know you read uh, what's happening elsewhere, and, of course, in British Columbia, the government has enacted all of these uh, programs to, to help sort of slow the foreign investment. Uh, and the funny thing is, even though they're in place, our numbers really haven't changed either, too, right? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Here, what's interesting, we found, like, for especially a lot of the foreign buyers, they've looked at the Vancouver, Victoria area. Um, they've gone to Toronto and... Calgary was a, a distant third option. Mm-hmm. The logic being not the potential for upside. Yeah. The concern is more how much lower could it go. Ah, so yeah. The so there's the uncertainty, right? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, it's a remarkable place. I, I have family in Calgary. Uh, we enjoy going there and visiting every once in a while. I mean, all the amenities are there. It's such a vibrant, vibrant place. Uh, and let's not forget, it wasn't that long ago where all of our tradespeople were moving from the West Coast and going to Calgary, because that's all the work was, right? Exactly. And, you know, there's still a number of people who obviously in, in the trades that have stick, stuck around, and they're very optimistic as far as where the future is going. And people are busy. I mean, there are jobs here, whatever else is. Help wanted signs all over the place. Yep. And it's simply a matter of getting the right type of mix between the individuals to fill the uh, requirements. Yeah, and I, I guess what you're saying is even though numbers may be relatively softish in Calgary, it's business as usual. You guys are open for business. We're always open for business, absolutely, and people generally are quite uh, cautiously optimistic. Perfect. Well, John, thanks for joining us. John is a top agent in the Royal LePage system. You were the Royal LePage benchmark in Calgary. If people need to reach you, John, what's the best way? Um, you can uh, call our direct line at the office, which is area code 403-245-4477. Yeah. 403-245-4477. Or you can email me at john, J-O-H-N, at Team Ripco, T-E-A-M-H-R-I-P, like Peter, K-O, dot C-A. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, John. We'll have you on again. Thank you very much. Look forward to it. Great. Back in just a moment. This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We are doing our cross-country review of what's happened in marketplaces like Toronto. We spoke with Tom Story a little bit earlier. We just got off the phone with John Ripko in Calgary to see what happened there in 2019. And right now on the phone, we have with us Keith Roy. Keith is with Remax Select in Vancouver. Uh, you may... Be familiar with Keith. He's been on BNN, the Business Net News Network, CTV, uh, CBC, The Province, New York Times, McLean's, New York, uh, The National Post, Canadian Business, Vancouver Sun. Uh, he is the guy that is the uh, t- seems like the unofficial spokesperson for all things going on in Vancouver. Uh, and of course, he's been on our show before. Uh, Keith, thanks for joining us. Hey, happy to be here, Tony. We're, we're going to have to add the whole home show on your list, by the way, of media things. We'll get to that another time. I will update the website <laughs> for you. Oh, perfect. Um, so, Keith, 2019, what happened in Vancouver? Uh, interesting year. Um, the first half of the year was really quiet, and there was a, a bit of a hangover effect from 2018 uh, when things had been kind of calm and sta- you know stable throughout the year. Uh, first half of 2019, very quiet. Uh, a lot of realtors exiting the business. Uh, a lot of licenses not getting renewed, and a as, lot of as a result of the control. rule changes, right? Yeah, rule changes and a slow market. If you combined mm-hmm. increased oversight, increased education with a 
um, with a declining market, a lot of people just kind of checked out. And so the whole the whole thing just kind of went into sleeper mode for the first half of the year. And right around the back half of the year, um, it started to uh, started to pick up. Sales started to inch up again. Inventory started to decline. And we ended December, um, I, I think we had the lowest inventory in the Metro Vancouver area. We had the lowest inventory in December that we've had in 10 years. Like and, the lowest number of homes available. Yeah, and all and sales were up something like 80% or something like that, right? Yeah, it was almost double, right? Like the And this is the number of sales in December 2019 yeah. compared to the number of sales in December 2018. So December was actually just like a rip roar and busy month um, compared to November, compared to um, previous the previous December, and compared to the first half of the year. Um, we, for for perspective, just like one quick little example, Vancouver East Side houses. Mm-hmm. We sold more East Side houses in December than we did in January, February, March, or April. Wow! December December was busier than the entire spring market. Yeah. Um, so we had a we had a quiet first half and a really busy second half, and the end result was Vancouver Metro Vancouver actually sold more houses in 2019 than we did in 2018, mm-hmm. and no one would have uh, predicted that, or nor does it even feel like that happened. It kind of happened by accident yeah. with a strong finish. Wow, yeah, because at the end of the, at the end of the year it ended up being uh, like plus three percent or something like that compared to 2018, right? Yeah, it was it was twenty five thousand three hundred and fifty one units versus twenty four thousand six hundred and nineteen units. Yeah, so you only had like seven hundred and some odd units more yeah. uh, out of a lot of home sales, but more. There yep. was more sales in twenty nineteen than twenty eighteen, and nobody, nobody, nobody feels that, and nobody expected that that's happened. Yeah, but the other it, thing, that's up on us again. We're we're back. Yeah, but the other thing that you were mentioning is that it was all kind of back end loaded. It, it all happened like the last uh, six or nine months of the year, right? Wow. Yeah, it was definitely the last six. So we didn't have a spring market, mm-hmm. and then we had a we had a we had an okay summer, and then we had a fall market, and the fall really made up for it. Okay. Well, then this is a this is the surprise. I think people were sort of caught off guard uh, with that because the expectation was that you know it might continue being a sort of softish year. What is driving it? Like, what's causing this to happen? Well, the the the. the, the the decline was caused by government intervention, not economic activity. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we're seeing a bit of a, an elastic, you know, a slingshot back to normalcy. And Vancouver has this tendency to go in wild swings because we keep trying to solve, you know, we it's, it's like whack-a-mole. So this, <laughs> this year they decided to solve the, the demand problem. They're like, okay, let's add a, let's massively increase the foreign buyer tax. Let's make it harder to buy homes. Let's continually increase the property transfer tax. Let's make it harder to buy homes. And it's whack-a-mole. So they, they hit the demand side and then demand pops up somewhere else and they, and supply hasn't met it because supply doesn't build when you're beating up demand. The market says, we don't want to build more homes. We don't want to, we don't trust that the government's not going to come after us. And but the the demand just keeps coming and it's bubbling up and it's oozing out like a like whack a mole yeah. and it pops up real quick. Huh. And you oh. can you can hit it on one side and it pops up later. And so here we are two years later after government intervention and, and taxes and changes and demand is back in the market and prices prices are starting to inch up. Anecdotally, Tony, here's a story from this past week in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. There was a house in Burnaby on the west part of Burnaby. Um, listed in the I think one three one four range, uh, they had twenty offers, 
and uh, I haven't seen a final price on it yet. But with 20 offers, I got to expect it's going to go two to three hundred thousand dollars over the asking price. 20, yeah. But that means 19 people tried to buy a home and didn't get it. And they're still out so there. The next, they're still out there, right? There's yeah. 19 more houses that can sell. Now, some of those people won't be able to afford it. They yeah. they were just they weren't in the price range. But let's say nine of them can still buy a home. Mm-hmm. That's an enormous amount of demand for a small, fairly expensive house. Well, and so the the other thing, too, is people were assuming that those days in Van- in the Vancouver marketplace are long gone. But what you're saying is they, they are back. They're coming back. Yeah, it, they're, they're back, not in the places that they w- traditionally have been. Um, now, uh, traditionally, we think of the west side of Vancouver, mm-hmm. you know, UBC, mm-hmm. working your way east to Granville Street. That market is still quite quiet. Um, we've seen a. We used to see prices peak. At, like, if you if you think going across Vancouver left or right, if you're looking at a map, so yep. prices were highest in Dunbar, and then they went down a little bit in Kitsilano. They went down a little bit at Camby, a little bit more at Main Street. Yep. They leveled off at Knight Street, and they worked their way over to Boundary and 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 Burnaby. Yep. But now, there's almost like this uh, curving line that goes up, down, and up again. Uh, prices are down in Dunbar. Uh-huh. They're a little bit the same or higher in Kitsilino. And, and I'm talking like same product. Like you think of a 33-122 lot, which is our typical. The Vancouver, the Vancouver special. Square yeah. foot. The Vancouver special, right? Yeah. So prices are down in Dunbar. They're level in Kit. And then they, they go up at Camby. And this Douglas Park area near Camby and the Canada line is really popular. They keep up and they Main Street is almost the same price as Kitsilino. And then it drops down again. So there's these humps to the city instead of this declining line and the slide that used to go across the city. Mm-hmm. So the neighborhoods are changing. Uh, where people want to be is changing. Some of it's um, uh, some of its demographics. Some of its ethnographics. Uh, just different different neighborhoods have different feels uh, as prices have changed over time. And some of its product mix yeah. because. In Dunbar, you've got 50-foot lots, which are more expensive because they're bigger, mm-hmm. and the end result is you have less less market there because it's more expensive. Whereas Kitsilino has smaller lots, so it's become density. more, you know, okay. it's more density and there's more people who want to be there. So really, and, and, and this is a sort of the, the consistent story across the country, and that is it's the higher end or the expensive neighborhoods that have slowed, uh, if anything, and... Uh, maybe in our marketplaces, Victoria and Vancouver and British Columbia, government intervention has slowed the higher end, but actually has actually added some heat into the 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 sort of bread and butter, the 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 middle section of real estate. You you'd agree with that, right? Yeah, you you can't solve the middle class housing problem by lowering the cost of a four million dollar house to three million dollars. <laughs> has no impact on the average person. Yeah. Now, it might have an impact on the average sale price, but it doesn't have an impact on the um, house price index that we use that compares a, a like house in different marketplaces, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, the, you know, I know, I know you wanted, and you've talked a lot about money laundering on the show. Yeah. The, the, the money laundering issue, they talked about how it raised, you know, 5% of real estate transactions were a result of money laundering is what the report said. And they... Imp- they then said that 5% of the price increase is a result of money laundering. Yeah. But the, the reality is, if I'm going to launder money, I'm not going to do it in a three or $500,000 condo. I'm going to do it in a $4 million house. Mm-hmm. 
So you might sw- you might swing the average massively by selling a basket of goods of, of three and four million dollar houses, but that's not what's driving the price of the eight hundred thousand dollar townhouse or the one point three million dollar house. What's driving that is people who live there who have jobs, who have inherited money from their grandparents or their parents, who are getting help from the bank mom and dad, or scrimping, saving, using Airbnb, having basement suites, and having side hustles. That's what's driving the market. Okay. Well, just as a little aside for our listeners here uh, about money laundering. So one of the reasons why Keith has brought it up is because uh, him and I, as uh, British Columbia licensees, we're undergoing this whole process right now of education regarding uh, money laundering, the Proceeds of Crime Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing Act, which our our real estate council um, is having us licensees do. So it's something that, you know, we acknowledge exists out there. I have to say, though, most of the reports are saying, I mean, what was it now? Two million uh, properties in British Columbia. Uh, there's like, they identified 16,000 that are, um, you know, a foreign or, 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 or whatever. It's a really small amount, but that's a whole other story. We can talk about that uh, on another show. Uh, let me ask you this, though, Keith. Where, what's happening with the foreign uh, the foreign um, uh, uh, buyers and all that in the Vancouver marketplace. Well, the money laundering actually ties into this. Okay. Um, as part of the as part of the money laundering conversation, in British Columbia, they've introduced the Landowner Transparency Act, yeah. which is is this hasn't come into effect yet. This is the last shoe to drop. Um, beneficial ownership will now be in a public registry, and I'll give you an example for your listeners. If someone like you used to be able to own a own title in a corporation and that's all that you had to make public was the the name of that corporation or if if i owned a home tony and then on the side you and i had an agreement that you own 50 percent of my house but i was the only one on title um it was never known that you were an owner of that home so you could benefit from the money of it you could you could move your you know i'll I'll joke here you could you move your drug money around and, (laughs) and send it through and i would be the owner of the home yeah and that and that's now um, that's going to be stopped, or they're going to attempt to stop that with a beneficial registry. Yeah. So if I if you are controlling the strings behind the scene, that has to be made apparent and public. Yeah. This I think will will have an impact on the the money laundering side of the higher end of the real estate market because if someone is doing this right now, they don't want this information to go public. Mm-hmm. And what you might see, and I've heard predictions of this, you might Are they going to start selling off a group of individuals who sell just because they don't want to be, they just rather have their money in the bank where no one knows about it yeah. than in a house where they now have to be very public with it. And at that level of money, these these you know millions and tens of millions of dollars, those people have the sophistication to recognize that this might affect their their day to day life in a negative way. So it'll be very interesting to see what that does to the higher end of the market. I don't think that makes housing more affordable for the average consumer who is just trying to raise a family. For sure, for sure. Well, um, so at the end of the day, Vancouver Marketplace, moving into 2020, uh, looks like uh, firing on all cylinders. The the marketplace is doing it's well, fire, right? The, the, the middle and lower end of the market is firing on all cylinders. The higher end has moved into a much more balanced position. Yeah. But we're selling, you know, houses that weren't selling six months ago, yeah. I'm seeing sell in multiple offers. Amazing, amazing. The well, market's back. Thanks for coming on, uh, Keith. If people need to reach you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, KeithRoy.com or Google Keith Roy. Perfect. If they if they can't find you, you're doing something wrong. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Keith. And to the rest of our listeners, we'll be here for you this time next week.